0: Spurs so in full cry here. Look at
1: Welcome, listeners, to the X-Trench. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardy. Hello, Bardy. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a brave man, a truly brave, brave man. A man so brave that at the first sign of his hair being lost, he shaved it off. A man so brave that he was happy to call out pro-military propaganda on Twitter of all places. A man so brave, so, (laughs) so brave... That he posted pro Delhi propaganda on Reddit. <laughs> it's Nathan A Clark. Hello, Nathan.
2: Hi, Wendy. I, I actually, I actually, um, I went to some efforts, not on Twitter, but on Reddit, to present uh, Delhi's performance as neutrally as possible. I didn't, I didn't comment. I didn't like. I even when it was like, what type of like post is this tagged as? And the option was like highlight. I'm like, I'm not gonna call it highlights. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna like do anything. I'm just gonna like put it out there and see what comments it gets and use reddit as like um as the content itself right to, to 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 harvest the takes from um but i did then tweet out that i thought it was good and got a
1: bunch of like you're obsessed <laughs> you know that kind of stuff well we need to have a conversation about this and we will do because there's going to be um there's going to be Mora Mora because we have no Burnley game to talk about. Uh, but first, but first, Bardi, your uh, your photograph is selling selling rather well.
3: Flying out of the shop, Windy. It's um it's good to see so many people like it. I'm I'm very proud of it, and I I always say I always regret not being on the lower tier for that day, so I could run on the pitch and eat some grass and. Kissed the goalpost and stuff like that but i'm i'm very happy that one of the, the photo i took is now part of people's um spur supporting
1: and we're making at least a pound on every one sold <laughs> so <laughs> that, that bloody shop bane of my life <laughs> setting up that shop and we barely make anything from it uh, but it's a yeah a lovely a lovely christmas gift for your for your Spurs supporting friends and family um it's been a it's been a busy week on patreon this week boys uh we've been very active i would say i produced I'm going to say the best piece of Spurs youth team content that there's ever been on the internet um, in my chat with John from Lily White Rose. It is it is very dense. It's very detailed. Uh, if you are interested in Spurs youth, treat yourself to a subscription for, for one month. Try it out. See if you like it. Have a listen to the youth pod and uh, and then consider sticking about if you do like it um nathan you've been um you've been making content with your mate john
2: oh yeah okay so we did we did leads stuff um we saw we did a, like a, a back and forth video series because we oh my goodness we send each other our patreon content free of charge <gasps> um uh. i know <laughs> am i a patron listening are we going to get in trouble um and so we sort of um did half of an analysis of the match each and then gave it to one another's patreon feeds for so he does uh, the leads um podcast all stats aren't we and so why is it called that uh by the way well, because they are like all leads, aren't we? That's their thing. That's their coys. Oh, okay, okay. A law, <laughs> and then I'd always wondered um, that. But it's analytics. It's a weird. It's I don't think it's a good name, and I told him multiple times, so it, that won't be news to him. But now I've said <laughs> it on a podcast with <laughs>
1: loads of listeners, which he's definitely listening to. Yeah, yeah,
2: and we love John. Listen. We do. So yeah, so I I I analysed um, Spurs in possession, leads out of possession, and then he analysed the opposite, and so we. we yeah, sending each other's way.
1: He's uh, he, he's he's giving you some strong competition, Nathan. It's it's good stuff. Yeah, John's analysis good stuff. really good. Some fancy graphics too. Not like wonky lines drawn with a overly thick, bright pink pen.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah there, There's room for both. There's room for both techniques. Let's leave it at that. Um, I I want to say also in the wake of yet another anti-Semitic. Uh, a moment going viral on football Twitter. Yeah. We've been having, or I've been having, some really useful conversations with one of our listeners, uh, who I shall call Cronescast because that's what he knows himself as. That's what he sort of describes himself as. Um, he, he's written some lengthy emails to me, which have been very eye opening for me as a non Jewish Spurs fan. And he's written a piece which I'm going to read out and we'll put it at the end of this podcast because it is powerful, and I think it will change the way you think about the Y word and about anti-Semitism generally. There's a real problem with the way people talk about Daniel Levy, for example, um, and Crohn's and cast makes the point that it is often left to Jewish people to call this out, and that is wrong. Um, so listen to the end of the pod, and like me, you'll probably find it very in So boys, we have no Premier League match to talk about. This week since the Burnley match was postponed and just before the Burnley match was postponed Petter bless him had asked question or request for the pod can't you please just ignore the Mura game and rather discuss Sunday's brilliant 1-0 victory over Burnley on the next pod how unfortunate that we now have no choice but to do this.
3: I mean, um, um, are we going to put our tinfoil hats on here and say that this was done on purpose by Burnley because they had so many players uh, suspended? <laughs> I did enjoy Spurs. It was, Spurs Twitter was almost as bad as Italian <laughs> media in terms of conspiracy theories, warm balls, and the rest of it. That Burnley did this on purpose.
1: I mean, I'm open to it. <laughs> there wouldn't be any conditions that would be better suited to Burnley for playing against Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> like, they, if they're going to have a chance of. Of getting a, a solid win. That those conditions are ideal. <laughs> these these hardy northern lads against our South American, very Latin contingent, they'd have run riot, they'd have run a mock. Yeah. Davinson on the on the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean he's bad enough on, on a normal pitch. Uh yeah, I, I, I don't think it was I don't think there's any conspiracy here. Uh, Mackie says, is the postponement a good thing for us? More time on the training field for Conte before having to put it to use? Or would it have been better for his methods and teaching to get another Premier League match under his belt to further continue the process? I mean, I guess the other point is it's going to mean our schedule gets even more hectic. I mean, our schedule over the next six weeks is crazy as it is. Definitely worth having yeah. a look ahead. And now we're going to have to squeeze in another game.
2: I mean, maybe if we'd known yeah, last week that this match wasn't taking place... And therefore, we could have had something that looks like a sort of international break kind of training. But like traveling up to Burnley with your team, having prepared specifically for the match and then finding out the match isn't happening, isn't, isn't an advantage at all, I don't think.
1: Maybe, maybe you gain a day of training in the sense that you're not having maybe. a recovery day. So I guess. you can perhaps have a full day of training that would have been recovery.
3: Yeah, it did also hurt us. We'll, we'll talk about Mora, but we rested players, uh, against Mura for Burnley. Right. <laughs> and sure. that, that hurts there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's dive straight uh, <laughs> in. I mean, I was looking forward to watching Tottenham skid about in the snow. It would have been quite interesting. Um, <laughs> those of a certain age will remember the orange ball and Paul yep. Stewart in his um, yellow kit thundering them in against uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, other people might remember the game against United, where Dempsey scored in the last minute. Was that, I think that was an equaliser. Um, oh, that's the, a good game in the snow. That that was a game that got delayed because of the uh, the weather, but um, we just put it back a couple of hours, and we still got the game happening. And that, yeah, that was a good game.
1: What was the League Cup match like a couple of seasons ago in the snow? Was it Rotherham?
3: Um, yeah, that at, at Wembley it was an FA Cup game. FA Cup. Yeah, it was. Uh, I can't uh, Rochdale. No, it was. A, it was a team in blue. One of those teams, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> one of their northern teams. Well, yeah, one of those that we we smashed off the pitch. They, I mean, they, they were virtually amateurs, but yeah,
1: we beat them. So, so good news for everyone, every listener, is that we've now got. Basically an hour podcast analysing our dreadful defeat to Enes Murrah. Oh, goodness me. I, I don't quite know where to start. So let's start with this question from um, Wasted Space, who is King26Ledley on Twitter. Very, very good Twitter follow. You should follow him. Uh, is playing a 3-4-3 so important in itself... You have to fit the squad around it at all times, even if it means outcomes like last night. And this wasn't actually a question; it's a, it's uh, Nathan creating a question from it because they were having a chat on on Twitter. Um, but King Twenty Six led the ads. Conte deserves blame for yesterday, in my opinion. And I would agree, Nathan. What did you think of the decision to play three four three?
2: So yeah, um, most of the time uh when i'm talking about not conte it's like yeah you have to adapt your team to the squads you have to uh, who you're picking um how you want to play that game specifically the opposition how you think the opposition will shape up how they actually do shape up in the match how they're approaching the game all those kinds of things um and so i would definitely give grief to most managers for playing a 3-4-3 with the 11 that they selected but with conte it's different because for him more than most managers the formation kind of does have to come first i've talked before about how like um there isn't much difference between the 343 and the 352 um in terms of like what you get as a final product but there is a significant difference in terms of like switching between the two in terms of training because everything that we've been training or almost i imagine everything we've been training for the last several weeks has been around the way that we the patterns that we play the ball in our 3 4 3 shape and learning how to play the 3 4 3 to then like switch for a specific game eventually down the line next year when we are practiced in both of those formations. I think that that'll be a much easier thing for us to do, but I don't think that we've spent much time learning how to play Conte's 3 5 2. And so, yes, he kind of has to stick with a formation for the time being and make that what he does. Um, I still don't think that that excuses Davinson on the left. I think that he is the last centre-back that you would play on the left-hand side and you're asking to um, simultaneously concede goals against bad sides and also um, have terrible movement of the ball on that side of the pitch because he just looks... So I feel sorry for him. He mm. looks so uncomfortable on the left side of the pitch. He doesn't look very comfortable on the right hand side of the pitch at some of the time, right? But but he's 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 the last player you should play on the left.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, on on that point, when Davinson played right back against Arsenal, it's one of the worst individual play performances yes. I've seen in recent years. It was absolutely horrific. And Davinson on the left is even worse than that. Um, meanwhile Tanganga was on the pitch who has played, played left back, back and did yeah. play left back in this game when Sessegnon got sent off he, Tanganga moved to left back and was mm. was adequate there so it was a really strange decision to me for Davinson to be the one to start on the left hand side he's not good at turning that way he's not good on the turn generally anyway and he's especially not good when he's asked to turn in a direction that doesn't feel comfortable to him so he was very exposed by, by that positional decision which was needless from Conte I thought it did that's just a choice he made and i think he got it wrong um, but i think specifically around the 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 343 there's another couple of issues heel playing on the right again nathan i just don't like him on that side every time he's played on the right he's looked uncomfortable to me he looks so much better yeah. on the left
2: i mean i th- i still stand by um what i said on um on his preview video which is he can play wide right he can play um chalk dust on the boots right wing and cross it in from there if you want him as you do in the 343 and in most formations that most top level managers are going to play for a team that do possession your wingers your attackers are going to play in narrow spaces it's really awkward for him i thought he had a i like him a lot i thought he he had a really awkward and uncomfortable game
1: same yeah i mean i thought after after Sanchez. And Dottie, who were absolutely atrocious, and Kane, who had one of the worst first halves I've ever seen Harry Kane have. <laughs> it's
2: weird, right? I
1: thought he was our next worst. And like you, I, sure. I rate him really highly. I've got a lot of excitement about his potential, but he had a really, really poor game. And I again, I don't blame him entirely for that. Like with Sanchez, I think he's been put in a position that he's not comfortable in. Um, Bardi, I want you to sort of go in on the team on this Murray match because it was it was unacceptably <laughs> bad, right? Yeah,
3: I've been slowly getting a little bit upset with the two of you. So, <laughs> and, uh. 3-4-3 is what we do, is what we got. And it's for these players to adapt to it. And I'm not having it that Sanchez is unable to play in the left. Sanchez needs to sort himself out and play better. What his performance was unacceptable as a professional footballer. I thought Harry Kane, I let we let Harry Kane off because of what Harry Kane does when when things work alongside him. I thought Ndombele was a disgrace. I thought Deli was a disgrace. I thought Cessignon, who had, had this opportunity that we've all been mm-hmm. talking about for, for for years, and now finally it's here for him. session go and do something. He does two needless tackles. And the rest of them, Rodan, there's a reason why he's been sat on the bench. I'm just I look I look at these idiots and I just think, that's it. This, this is kind of confirming what I've suspected, that they're no good. They're no good. Sanchez should, should be more than capable to play on that left-hand side of a free versus part-time players. This is more this, you know, I don't even think they're the biggest club in Moldova. It's... Slovenia. Slovenia. Well, whatever. They, they just... <laughs> <laughs> they're (laughs) 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 they're not a good footballing team and if you're unable to play a 3-4-3 against this team and even in even with 10 men impose yourself upon the game it's embarrassing and i think there's a certain few individuals there that have that their time is now done at Tottenham. I think Delhi is now finished at Spurs. It's, no, this it's is, Barbie, this, is ma-
1: this is madness. It's
3: unacceptable that he can come back from this. This is that was a performance that had it been anybody else but Delhi, he, he'd be gone. Unforgivable. If, and, he, if that
2: was anyone else but Delhi, we'd be saying it was a good performance because it was a good performance. But because it's Delhi and everything attached with him, I'm not he's sure. He's got all this abuse.
3: I I just I maybe maybe I'm expecting too much from Delhi. Maybe this is who Delhi is now. He's just an average footballer.
1: You yeah, buddy, you you've got to watch Nathan's video that he made on Delhi. Um, every touch that he had and every 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 interaction, he basically put in a pretty good, not amazing but pretty good performance. He was taking the ball between the lines and the half turn. He was making creative runs off the strikers, which weren't found. He made one really, really terrible overhit attempted cross with his left foot. We know Deli's yeah, got a bad left bad. foot. Um, it was it was shocking, but everything else was all right. He won the ball back a few times. He had a creative dribble. Um, I thought he was. I thought he was pretty good. And I it, thought Ndombele yeah. I thought Ndombele was pretty good as well. I mean, I've yeah. I went back and I watched all of Ndombele's touches because, as Bardy will know, I had an argument with uh, a couple of our friends in the fighting cock WhatsApp group about Ndombele. So I went back and because like, you guys make me doubt myself.
3: But, so I went back and but, watched all his touches. And again, like, there's. This is a problem. This is, this is, there's a problem here with this. And I agree, it's, it's a useful tool to do. But when, once you, sometimes when you're looking at something within isolation, you're not seeing the bigger picture around it. Yes, he, the ball comes into him. He takes, nice, nice touch, nice layoff. But I do think you're not seeing the whole kind of. You're opening a book and reading the page instead of reading the whole story. And I do think sometimes when you analyze these single touches, it's, it does paint the picture that you, that you kind of want to see. And you can see the good or you can see the bad in it. I think I think seven of these players should never play for Tottenham again. If we had the opportunity to get rid of them and replace them in January, we don't, so they will. Um, but I'm disappointed in, in a lot of those players, and I, I think Gallini is probably one of the worst goalkeepers that's ever played in goal for Tottenham. And, <laughs> and we've seen some bad ones. I think he, I think he's pointless. I, I, we would just put a corner flag there and sellotape some um, Sondigo gloves to it. He, he's <laughs> unable to stop any shot, which isn't a, a kind of five out of ten in difficult. and it's it's really upsetting that we've now arrived in this place in this joke of a competition that we could have walked through and won we arrived in a position where we've got to go out and it's just it's disappointing and we we saw from the the comments from Conte after the game that there's a massive problem at Tottenham and I don't I don't know can these players even be coached maybe they're that they're that bad they can't be coached and it's it's the glue factory for all of them
1: (laughs) <laughs> Buddy, you're not going to get any arguments from me on Galini. I mean, I think he's, I think he's pretty bad. I think he's definitely not better than Gasaniga, and I, I don't understand what we're doing with selling Gasaniga and getting Galini in. To be honest. It's a bad weird signing.
2: I do think that he has like the goalkeeper's curse. There, so where so he he has two involvements and he messes both of them up. Yeah, but, and like yeah. it's kind of like it's like it's a small sample thing and it's unlucky. But it's also I don't have like the patience. I don't. I, I haven't seen the upside. We don't to need be like, to have
1: the patience to be honest.
2: No,
3: no, we don't. No, <sighs> the warning we signs um, were always there for him. If you look at the goals he conceded at Atalanta, they were always. It's it's the same goal. Every goal is a carbon copy of the of the goals he's always conceded all his career, and that's something that he's not going to improve on. It's not. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're a goalkeeper and shot stopping is a weakness, you're in trouble.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Nathan, I want you to respond uh, on the point about if you're looking at every player's sort of individual involvement, you mm. miss the, you miss the yeah, game in context. I think that that is
2: definitely true of Andomile's performance against Miro because I thought that he looked good on the, when he had the ball, um, but he definitely had like a... I don't know, like a hesitancy, like a, like a nervousness in, in in getting involved. And then also sometimes on the ball, um, like all of the talent is there massively. And like he's passing a ball in the way that none of our other midfielders could even dream of passing the ball. And that's important. We need to get that into the first team soon. Um, but I felt like I mean, essentially I feel that he is like um, adapting Slowly and with difficulty to being instructed where to play his passes and not just inventing inventing everything up on the spot and that might take him a little while but I'm not disappointed with that his particular performance to be honest um, Roden I am Roden is a player yeah. who I am keen on who I think that who I for a long time have said is good on the ball when he looks really really poor in the ball in this game he did. you compare his performance to Dyer's both in that match particularly and also um, like Dyer's recent performance against Leeds he looked that. Looked like a massive downgrade i still have patience for Roden, um despite disappointment in that performance but um that's a little worrying delian and dombele i'm basically happy with to be honest um yeah and 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 what i will say to that is that like we then subbed off those players for their first choice equivalent and we weren't much better now obviously that's a man down but then you're a man down for a significant portion of the period of time where those players are on the pitch anyway right I thought prior to the red card we were okay we weren't great and again obviously it's Mura and that is its own like awfulness but like I don't know like this is the first game under Conte where we'd outshot our opposition right we weren't good against Leeds we came away with a victory as Leeds side out right we weren't good against Vitesse right we we like we got sent off you know it's 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 gonna take time under Conte, and I don't think that like the what currently are the first eleven players have done better than the highly maligned players against um, against Mura.
3: And also the the kind of lapso-daisical attitude of Tottenham away in Europe. This isn't this isn't a, a new thing. This is something that's been going on since the Pochettino years. That we just can't buy a win away from home. I've got to Against a top team, I think Ajax was maybe the the last time we won a proper game away from home. It's um it's something that's continued to happen, and it's a habit that's pretty bad for for us to have.
1: So so I mean we can dig more into some of the individual performances, and I, I think we should. But but let's think about this sort of more holistically in terms of of why this went wrong. Andy Toronto said. Uh, My question is that we seem particularly poor in Europe this year. Is that because of tactics, rotation, or do the players just believe this competition is beneath them? This was a great opportunity for fringe players to show what they can do in front of a new manager, yet no one really rose to the occasion despite three weeks of supposedly intensive training. Why not? Um, I mean, I definitely think motivation is a key aspect here. And I I think, you know, Bardi said that the... uh, Did you describe it as a joke competition, Bardi? I think you... Yeah, or, it's or a, tin pot or
3: something. Well, I didn't call it tin pot. I mean, this is a competition I really want us to win, and but it's not a, it's not a very prestigious competition. It's not. No, yeah,
1: but but if we're describing it in those terms, if we're seeing it in those terms, we know it's the third tier Euro, European competition. The players mm. have got mates playing in the Champions League. They're they're literal friends off <laughs> the pitch of playing Champions League football, and they're going off to play against a team ranked what was it eight hundred something in the UEFA coefficient or something like that. Um, they're getting on a plane to Slovenia um, to go and play off, play against a team they've probably never heard of before. And they've been heavily rotated, nine changes from the previous first-in game. You can sort of see why the motivation might not, might not be there. And yeah, like in an ideal world, yes, of course they're fighting for their place. This is their chance to impress yeah. Conte. This is their opportunity after two weeks of, of training with Conte.
2: But like, That has to overall like not caring about Europa League conference. Surely that has to surely like this is my chance to get into the first team under the new manager is has a has a heavier weight to it than oh God Slovenia, this is a horrible journey here and the weather's terrible and I don't know any of these players we're playing against. I don't I don't think I don't think um like external critique of motivation stands up if the i don't think the motivation or effort was a problem in this game if it was then we're in significant trouble
1: no i think i think there was aspects of motivation that were a problem like not for every player but there were players that you mean okay so for established so for like for kane kane Kane, like he was hopeless in the first up it's like he wasn't concentrating properly because i think he probably wasn't i think he probably just thought you know stat bit of stat padding here um, you know, go out get a hat trick like I did last time. Come last home, time, yeah. um, but but uh, no, I take your point. I think it's more that a lot of the players just look damn rusty. And look, Doherty was absolutely abysmal <gasps> in this game, like abysmal. But he's not very good. He's, he's not <laughs> very good. But he's not played. He's not played any games. Like he's it's played true. so few minutes. What do we expect? Like, maybe he should be playing some under twenty-three football. Maybe, like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, are we expecting Dotty to come in and look any better competent. than? Yeah, exactly. When he's not getting any minutes to build any sort yeah. of sharpness or. But there's
2: like a flaw. There's a flaw. Oh, for like, sure. ag- again, like. I thought Delhi and Dombley were good, right? They weren't great, but, like, there's a floor there that they have to meet in order to, like, for me to have some acceptance. Davinson Sanchez didn't clear that floor. No Joe Roden, who, again, I still like, didn't clear that floor. Doherty didn't clear that floor. Hill maybe scraped it. Maybe is, like, you know, uh, on on the boards yeah. there, you know? Doherty just, like, I don't know. I, I, when we were linked with him, like, I wasn't, Overall, with him, but I thought he was decent. I thought he would come in and be just like a competent, like... Reasonable uh, right back, who had like a specialist ability to to get into the box, who who wasn't a good crosser, wasn't great in midfield play, but was decent defensively, and he's just looked abysmal under you know throughout.
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. there's a, there's a general level of kind of hygiene that you expect from from our players that they'll go onto the pitch and in the worst case scenario they'll deliver a five. But Doherty, you know, that's it's an embarrassment at his performance there, and even if he hasn't played, you expect him to have the ability to be able to pass the ball and, and contribute something against that kind of standard of opposition. And at least, this is his role. He's a specialist right wing-back and he seems inc- unable to play that role. And he he needs to go as well. I can't, I'm <laughs> sounding like a, someone off Arsenal fan TV now saying, all got to go. But just... <sighs>
2: It's terrible, windy. Doherty it? does need to go. Like, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, like,
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely, Do- Doherty's ceiling is is not high enough to justify. No, having it's collapsed him
3: on his head. He's rubbish.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm up for Doherty leaving. I mean, I, I think look the way I see it, and can I just go back to Indombly briefly? Like so when true. I when I watched every touch he'd had, um. So there's a couple of things I noticed. Firstly, he did three or four things that literally no other player on the pitch could have done in terms of receiving the ball, protecting it under pressure from three players, bursting through, retaining possession. Once at the edge of the box, he went on a driving maizey run, which created a chance. He also played that ridiculous pass over the top to Brian Hill, which he should have scored like outside of the right foot golf style chip over the top, top of the fence. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant pass, but he played lots of very safe passes. And I thought, okay, this is him adapting to to Conte. This is him like not trying the overly risky pass all the time. He played lots of balls just square out to dotty mm-hmm. or or I guess it was Tanganga. Um and I thought, okay, maybe that's just him bedding in. Like he's he's getting it. And I was quite happy I was quite happy when I watched it back but it was a, a sound performance from him. Um I've completely forgotten what I was gonna say before I went on to that was it. That was it. Um I just think we need to not make rash judgments based on this game or the next game or the next two, three, four games. We need to say, right, we've got a proper coach now. This is a man who improves players. He works with players. He's got a reputation for not just signing players that fit his style, but working with players at clubs and making them fit his style. And we need to just see what he can do with our players. Bardi wants to bin them off. He thinks they're not good enough. I think they are good enough. I think six months of working under Conte and we will see different players. I really do think that. I strongly believe that. And it might not be all of them. And there'll be people who will leave and I'll be like, oh, such a shame it didn't work out for him. I really thought sure. he was better. Yeah. But I just will accept that because Conte's a it's proper Conte. coach. Yeah. And whatever he says goes, as, as far as I'm concerned. I don't I think, think so. he's going to bin players off in January. Like Maybe he bins off Dorty. Maybe maybe he bins off Tanganga. I mean, I don't I don't like to say it because I love Tanganga, but he's so unsuited to Conte's style playing out from the back. He just isn't confident enough on the ball. Same with Sanchez. If both of them go, maybe Roden. I'm not going to be too angry, even though I like the potential of Roden and Tanganga because I'm like, fine, fair enough. I'll trust Conte's judgment on that 100%. But I don't think he's going to bin off like six, seven players
3: in January. <laughs> no, immediately. he's not. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He's not gonna. He's not gonna tune into the extra inch and go. Okay, party's right. Let's just bid him off. I I, <laughs> I admit some of that is probably me being a little bit hysterical, which does happen occasionally. Um, but I do think at least three or four of them are uh, are pretty much done. And I I'm not sure. I'm not sure Davinson can be coached. I I honestly I am a huge Davinson fan. I thought he could have been great for us. And up until up until Thursday, I still had hopes of him. But he was slipping and sliding all over the place, and it, that's that's just an unacceptable performance from him and those it's two goals they're not his fault di- directly but he was heavily involved in those two goals happening
1: it's not the first time we've seen that from him either is the the key is it it's like a continuation of a pattern well,
3: against opposition to this standard it's the first time we've seen it I, fair enough so he's been turned inside out by a, a premier league level player okay that happens but um against moore no this is not it's not it's not acceptable performance from a professional
2: Right, fair enough well i'm happy with that i'll take mm. that um I should have done this earlier. I want to talk to you. So I didn't watch the game live. I, um, I was away at the time and I didn't have phone signal and then I, I checked in it was like late in the game and we were uh, I think we were one goal down and, and had a red card and I, I tweeted out sort of a joke about oh that's going well then um, and I got a whole bunch of replies about how terrible Delhi was, and I, was thinking, and I had time to sort of sit on that and think on that before I saw the game and sort of process it. and I and I was thinking what you were thinking when he like okay that's really disappointing but it's his first game and we have to give these players time and that sort of stuff and I thought that's what was going to be coming on and saying and then I watched game and I thought that he was fine and then I watched a compilation of all of his involvements and I thought he was good and I was like oh no I'm gonna have to like come on the podcast and say he was good so what I did is I went to my friend Tiago Tiago I think is possibly the world's best football scout and I really mean that sincerely Um, I gave it to him and I said tell me in isolation you're not a Spurs fan tell me in isolation what you think of this performance and he said it's good and I thought oh shit (laughs) and so I posted it onto Reddit and there are people on there uh, and it's mixed there are people who were very much against it but the majority of people on Reddit are saying oh actually this is quite good I heard this was bad or I thought this was bad at the time but watching it now this is a good performance and so (laughs) now I'm here and I'm saying Against uh, pushing it back against Bardy, and knowing that lots of the listeners are going to be irate, (laughs) this (laughs) I have to say. As much as it is painful for me to do it, I have to say I really thought Delhi had a good performance. In in a terrible result. And, and fans are completely, completely, you know, inclined to be very u- annoyed about the result, of course. And, um, you know, I think Session was probably right to get the first yellow as a tactical foul, but to then dive in oh, while you're on a yellow was, yeah. was so stupid. stupid.
3: Really stupid. I mean, I, w- I would like to say that I, I'm not... I'm not Reddit and I'm not Twitter so Nathan having an opinion which is different to mine doesn't make me upset. It's perfectly fine and I 100% of course respect Nathan's opinion. I felt from watching the game that Delhi was underperforming and not giving us what he should be given as a established player, as an international, the rest of it. Um, but I'll go and have a look at the Reddit comment. I've been, been kind of, I've isolated myself from football most of the weekend um, so I'll go back and have a look and I'll revisit it because in my opinion I, I thought it was substantial.
0: That's stamps.com. Code program.
1: I, I understand where it all comes from, the deli hatred that filled Nathan's timeline as well. It's, you know, we, we have been crap for, is it three years now? This must be getting on Pushing. three years. Crap. We've been an awful team to watch. Compared to where we should, where we were, and the value mm-hmm. of the squad and the wages, and now the outlay as well, because we've actually spent some money on the squad, it's been awful. And and Delhi has struggled during that whole period. And we would give reasons why that might be the case. Some people would say, no, it's because he's bad, and that's the problem. People. People see him as a cause for our crapness rather than a symptom of our crapness. Whereas I would say we've been crap because the way we've been managed has been crap. The way the tactics have been set up have been crap. And basically all of our players, aside from Son and Kane, have been crap. And maybe Lloris. Maybe Larice gets a pass. Yeah. And, and so, But I get it because everyone's so frustrated because it's horrible watching a team be crap for three years. And meanwhile, you've got Liverpool, who we were <laughs> quite close to at one point. They've just gone on and on and on, and they've just become this incredibly well-functioning team. And it's really hard to watch that. It's really hard to watch your team fall away from playing Liverpool in the Champions League final to now being a couple of tiers below them in terms of our competitiveness. And we want to blame something or someone, and a lot of people choose Delhi to blame.
3: I mean, and I, I guess... It's that, not his I, fault. <laughs> It's not, it's not his fault. It's 100% not his fault. But there are instances amongst all this crapness that we have dished out and all the managers that we've done. There have been moments where individuals have been able to ele- elevate themselves above that. Not just Kane and Son, but Davies has done it. Dyer has done it on occasion. Lloris has done it. At the moment, Reggion and um, Emerson are doing that. Even Scheuberg and Skip have had moments where they, they seem better than what the team is putting out. And I just think Delhi is, is that individual who's a very gifted, and, and Dombele as well, and Delhi's a really gifted individual, and he's been unable to elevate himself out of the mire. And I think that's the problem with him.
2: Yeah, I, this is just the type of player that he is, right? I get. I, I mentioned this in the La Celso video. My, my, my friend Mo, Mo Square on Twitter, um, <clears throat> he talked about players as being floor raisers and ceiling raisers, right? Floor raisers who will uh, improve the worst version of your team and senior raises who will give more to a good team right and delhi is He's a ceiling raiser, right? He won't make a bad team good, but he will make or will help to make a, a good team great. Um, and look, I, I just because I'm defending Delhi's performance in this game and I have in a couple of others doesn't mean that he hasn't had some absolute stinkers he along has. the way. A hundred percent. That's the case. I do think that's mainly because again, what I'm talking about here, where like if he's in a good functioning team, he, he can help maximize things. Um, he's had a number of, um, performances in the last, um, year under Nuno and under Mourinho, where he has single-handedly ruined multiple counterattacks. I'm not saying he hasn't been poor in the, those games because he absolutely has. Um, I just don't think that's the case in this game, and I don't think that's necessarily um the case with his skill sets and his ability as a player.
1: So this feels like a good time to ask this question from Dakota, the silly man. He says, "I really hate to bring up this debate again, but." Is it time for Deli to go? Not because he's a bad player, not because he's lazy or any of the idiotic reasons or the Twitter reactionaries give, but the opposite. He needs to move because he's good and hardworking and likable, and for one reason or another it just isn't working out here. Personally, I'd love to see him go on loan to a lower middle table team and just absolutely run things, but I want to know others' thoughts. I don't think he would run things again
2: because, like I'm saying, he's he's not someone who will improve the performance of the players around him. He's the one who will benefit from those and turn that into a supply of goals and assists. So um, so where would he go? He would have to leave us to go to wherever Pochettino is at the time. You know, okay, he, there's other managers he can play under, honest. But, um, I mean, I think that he can work out under Conte and I, I want to give it some patience. But again, like I said before, like you said earlier in this episode, um, if we get to, probably not January because that's too soon, but we get to the end of the season and Conte's not happy with him and wants him to go, I'm not going to put up a fight. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm at peace with that. Partly because, yeah, he hasn't worked out for us and obviously, for him, he needs to go for himself as well. So I'm not there yet um, to say it's time for Delhi to go, but by the end of the season, I very, very much could be.
1: Same. I, I must admit, I, I had some reservations about Delhi in a three-four-three, and I still do uh, because. So the way I see the difference between the three-four-three and the three-five-two is that with the three-four-three, you have two players dropping in from the front line deep into midfield to receive the ball with a back to goal. And I don't think that suits Delhi. I don't think that being asked of Delhi suits his skill set at all. I think he can look quite clumsy with his back to goal coming back into midfield. I don't think his um, receiving of the ball to feet is that great, to be honest, in in those positions. I think he's much better when he's receiving the edge of the box and he's kind of half-turned towards the opposition goal and can see more. Um, We want him playing quick, one and two touch passing, we want him playing flicks and front facing football. We don't want him taking a touch and trying to turn a defender because he'll look he will look clumsy and awkward. Having said that, I thought he did it pretty well against Murra. So so maybe there's something to work with there and um perhaps we'll be wrong. But Bardi, how do you respond to, to Dakota's question? Do you think it's time for Delhi to go?
3: Uh, I agree with what Nathan says. This gives him some time. He he needs to improve and if it hasn't improved by the end of the season then it, it's better for all parties, he goes.
1: So let's let's tackle this one from RR10. This has come up often and been swatted away by Windy and Nathan, but can we talk honestly about the quality of our squad? Fair to say that at least half of the squad are not of the requisite top-level quality required to compete in Europe and for the top four. I feel we are blinded by some of the players. Bardi, to be fair, has been critical, he adds. Uh, and then this is basically what Bardi was saying earlier. Bin them all off, they're not good enough. These players are not up to it. They've had ample, ample chance to to show that they are good enough, but um, but they're clearly not. Nathan, um, how do you how do you respond to that, that at least half of the squad are not up to the, the top level required?
2: I mean, I don't think half. I do think so. Like, okay, so if you want to go through that level, like Gallini, Davinson, Doherty... I think I probably stop there. Roden, I guess, is getting towards the nice. Um has been saved though, by the fact that
3: he never plays. That's what's that's well, what saved him. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um I mean I, I guess I, I, I accept that both Indomblay and, and, and Delhi are like getting towards the nice as well in that like they it needs to work for them this season. Um I, I think that it can. Um But I don't think it's as bad as half the squads. And I think that like, again, uh, something that we talked about, like with how we play in Europe, something we've mentioned several times before is like, when you swap over from your regular playing first 11 to your B team squads, you're going to be playing what I think a talented player is in, in in Dombola and Delhi with like receiving the ball from davinson Sanchez and Gallini, right? So it it, can, it makes them look worse, but I still I just don't think it's as bad as as half the squad. There's there's the squad still needs some work. Um, I think it I think it's a good squad, and I think it it had some help along the way. Um, it's, it, we made some significant improvements last summer, and I think that you know if we do again next summer, then we're gonna have a really good squad. Um, probably. Buddy. I mean if things don't work out with Ndombele this season, then we need to like rebuild the midfield and then that's its whole um difficult challenge that will take time and and there's room for errors along the way there as well. And then okay, you can say this squad isn't in a dire state, but I think that I think that both Ndombele and Delhi work out well this season and we realize the squad is good
1: buddy you've seen Conte come in before his manager and work with players that you wouldn't necessarily have thought would be well beaters and do well with them do you yeah. do you think someone like Roden could be could be sort of hidden in a, in a fully functioning Conte system and be made to look like a, a competent player or is he just not good enough
3: I don't know. I think I think those players that we, we look at and we go, Oh, Conte did a masterful job with those with those guys, they all had like like one one feature that you could kind of pin on. So for example, Ashley Young, he became a decent left wing back because he's just got a motor, he's got energy and he can get up and down, and that's kind of what you need. Um the defenders he had at Inter were DeVry good Skriniar good Bastoni brilliant and and then at Chelsea Aspilicueta had a good defensive brain you can see that Tuchel still relies heavily on him so what he's kind of done is taken individuals that you might not expect and just harness their unique kind of selling point what makes them a good footballer what worries me is I'm not sure, I'm sure some of our guys have one outstanding have feature upsides, yeah. <laughs> have <laughs> upsides like they might just be a shitload of fives and sixes and not one seven yeah. or eight that you could say look this guy's really good in the half turn. Let's just use him. Or this guy has really good um, covering ability. Let's use him as a as a centre back. And that that's my concern with some of our players that they're just they're just rounded fives and sixes instead of like a, a bit of a jagged um, point. You know that kind of football stat graph that always does. You know the skills, and some players just have no spikes to it. Like Mus- Musa Sissoko's would just look like a, a polo. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay, on, on that basis, another one from RR10. Assuming Conte and Paracci will look to improve the first 11 in January, what areas will they focus on as a matter of priority to give us the best chance of a possible top four push this season?
2: It's centre back, it's still centre back.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's
2: it's not stopped being centre back for a while. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're playing three at a time, um, we brought in a really good one. He's now injured. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that, that whole area clearly needs a continuation of work. Think, think Dyer is showing his upsides quite significantly this season and, and will continue to. So that leaves us with two good center backs. Davies is doing a decent job, but I still think we can improve there. I guess it's in the depth, right? It's, it's general improvement. I think if we could get a left footer, that would put us in a really good place. If we can make Ben Davies our good second choice left centre back, who plays in the Europa League, um, then we're probably in a in a happier place. Um, yeah,
3: mm. and um, sell Kane and Vlavic because that guy. <laughs> That sure. guy's getting better every week uh, he's, if we can find someone to take Kane off our hands. It's been centre-back for me too
1: from the beginning. That's kind of the area that I saw as a priority. Um, I'm going to say that's growing. That, that requirement for a new centre-back is growing by the week at the moment. Um, Romero being out makes it so much more obvious, so... I like Tangango, as I said earlier, but I think he's not of the required ability on the ball. When I saw Sanchez in the starting 11 for the Burnley game, which then got postponed, I was I was, <laughs> I was was surprised after his performance against Moura that he would start again. Uh, he's clearly not up to it in, in possession. And I'm not going to say that Roden is dusted after after one bad performance against Moura because we've not seen enough of Joe Roden. He's not had a run of games for Spurs. We don't really know yet whether he's good enough on the ball to be a, a, a Premier League centre. Back. Sure, uh, but if we can aim to have someone who we know is good, good enough in the board to be a Premier League centre back,
3: then we should absolutely take the opportunity and
1: uh, and upgrade the
3: back line. I mean, I didn't see any of Roden at, at Swansea, so I don't know how he played there. But when he played for Wales, he was very much a, a Baxtered defender. And during the Euros, he looked pretty good in that role. Um, but I don't think that that relates to a, a Conte back three. That kind of um, defending your own box and blocking things—it's not going to work for us.
2: I mean, his his style at Swansea was that he's he's a ball player. He's a he's a, a sort of a proactive. Um, You know, he's, he switched to play an enormous amount. He played a lot of short combination passes. That was, he was, he was a standout player in the championship. Um, so. He's definitely underperformed against his promise. You can say that
1: mm, for sure. Look, this has been a bit of a, a downbeat podcast, really, hasn't it? Well, uh, no, it's,
2: it's because we don't have a weekend game to talk about, and we lost against a terrible team. I, that's why. I, I, that. I, I
1: th- and I think we would have beaten Burnley. I had a good feeling that you know the the, the first eleven coming back in, picking up from where we left left off in the second half against Leeds. I felt pretty good against the, about the Burnley game. I, I I was confident that we would do something, and I guess we'll
3: see against Brentford on Thursday. um whether the the good vibe returns i mean you try to say kneecapping footballers on on a podcast isn't fun i always i always <laughs> tend to enjoy swinging the baseball bat at some of our chumps
1: <laughs> and that seems like a great place to uh to call it a day so what you'll hear now is um me reading uh, an email from Cronescast. please listen and if you have any thoughts we'd love to hear from you we'd be very happy to speak to you. To Jewish Spurs fans about their experiences. Obviously, as three non Jewish Spurs fans, it's very difficult for us to have an opinion, or to, to, well, not to have an opinion because we all have opinions, but to to feel it in the same way that Jewish Spurs fans do. But what we will do, absolutely, is platform Jewish voices. I am a Jewish man and long-time Spurs season ticket holder. And, given some recent events in football, I wanted to share my experience with your podcast. In social situations, when I'm meeting new people, I will often try to mention that I'm Jewish quite quickly. Why do I feel the need to do this? Because I feel like if people know I'm Jewish, they'll be more careful about making jokes or comments which might be offensive towards me. And because, sadly, most of the time people don't realise that their views or comments are anti-Semitic. There are two recent incidences which have highlighted this very clearly. Firstly, there was an incident on TalkSport when a fan called into the live show to share his views on a potential Harry Kane transfer. In discussing how much Spurs could sell Kane for, the caller said of Daniel Levy, He's a Jew. He's not going to let him go for nothing, is he? This was live-streamed, and at the time, the presenters did not address this comment and moved on with the show. I was shocked and saddened to not only hear this language used so freely by a caller, but also by the total lack of reaction from the presenters to this. Perhaps the fact that the caller and presenters totally overlooked that the comment was anti-Semitic is because anti-Jewish language is so deeply rooted in attitudes towards Spurs. For example, Daniel Daniel Levy, our Jewish chairman, is often described using specific language relating to him being shrewd. As we all know, he is indeed a very shrewd businessman. However, often the language used to describe him has anti-Semitic origins which most fans aren't aware of. The word miserly, which is quite commonly used, has lots of negative connotations, originating from Charles Dickens' portrayal of the Jewish character Fagin, which has been widely criticised for reinforcing negative stereotypes that Jewish people are, quote, stingy, money-grabbing, miserly and penny-pinching, end quote. The same language used to describe Levy in the media. In fact, it is hard to find a description of Levy in the media that does not include this type of language. Knowing how offensive the association is of Levy's shrewdness and his Judaism, I think the TalkSport presenter should have called this out immediately. Why haven't they been trained or prepped for this kind of situation? Would the presenter have called them out if they were being racist to another minority? And why have only the Jewish community called out that this comment is offensive? Why is it that a player, a caller feels comfortable making these comments in the first place? Sadly, it always feels like the responsibility of Jews to educate others on how or why their language or attitudes are offensive. These words used to describe Levy are often used without people understanding the impact they have on reinforcing untrue stereotypes that feed conspiracy theories about Jewish influence and control. The reality is that the talk sport caller's comments that Levy's Jewishness had anything to do with him being shrewd are sadly quite typical of football fans' attitudes towards Spurs and the Jewish community. Another word often used without understanding its true impact is the Y word, a word that I felt very conflicted about for some time. When I first started going to Spurs games, I had no problem with the use of the word and the chance. As a young Jewish man finding his way in life, there was something quite comforting about how the word had been flipped and was now a form of identity for the club. I felt more connected to my fellow fans who were sticking up for the Jewish supporters against anti-Semitism. As a grandson of a Jewish refugee who had fled the Nazis from her home in Belgium and lost family members in the Auschwitz concentration camp, it has become important to me to try to understand more about how anti-Semitism exists in society today, and to learn more about the origins of the Y-word. Most people won't know that the Y-word, short for Yiddish,es was originally coined in the 1930s by Oswald Mosley, the leader of the British Union of Fascists, also known as the Blackshirts, a far-right political party which embraced Nazi-style anti-Semitism. The Y-word was used on marches in Britain and Nazi Germany throughout the 1930s, most commonly in the phrase Y-word out, meaning get rid of the Jews. Knowing that the origins of this word were used by the Blackshirts and the Nazis, is it acceptable to use this word today? although some will say that Spurs fans have reclaimed this word, I doubt many will know this origin story. In any event, David Baddiel, who wrote a book on this very subject, makes a very good point about the reclamation of the word, to quote, most Spurs fans are not in fact Jewish, the club's Jewishness is just a historical association with the area. The equivalent case would be a club in Brixton made up mainly of white fans adopting the N-word as their badge of honour. This, I think, would be stopped fairly quickly, end quote. Knowing the origins of the word, there are Jewish fans who hear the Y word at Spurs games and will think of the black shirts, not the park lane. In the minds of most football fans, the Y word just means Spurs fans. The use of the Y word by our supporters means that other fan bases will continue to use the word negatively in chance, which will further normalise the use of a deeply offensive word. I know there are differing opinions on the issue. This is just my experience, which is continually being shaped by events in and outside of football. The second instance I wanted to share was a recent video which circulated on social media of West Ham fans on an aeroplane chanting anti-Semitic songs to an Orthodox Jewish man who was boarding their flight. Multiple media outlets reported it as anti-Tottenham songs rather than anti-Semitic. While the chant did contain the word Tottenham, it also refers to foreskins and when directed at a Jewish person who has no perceived connection to Tottenham other than the stereotype around Jews and Spurs, it is just a plain anti-Semitic verbal assault on a stranger. Being Jewish I find this really difficult and it always feels like it is Jews who have to call it out. If there is anything I want to achieve by sending this email, it is to highlight how common this issue is within football and how others can be a better ally to Jewish people. Firstly, do your research and read up on the topic. I mentioned earlier David Bedil's book, Jews Don't Count, is a good place to start, and it's very accessible. Secondly, please listen closely anyone who has a, to anyone who has an experience like this. Sadly, it is all too real for Jews and many other minorities. And lastly, if you ever see this type of language used, call it out in the same way you would any other form of racism. You've been listening to the x Train. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his soundcloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a
0: rating and review. That would really help.